Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is our low-quality, low-effort podcast, The Brunigs. I'm Liz Brunig. This is my husband, Matt. Hello, everyone. You're finding us in the war room. We're uh, starting a GoFundMe to get Dersh off the vineyard so we can get him to some friends. He said he's not actually mad. He actually likes it. He thinks it's funny. That was in the New York Times today. Oh, no. He's playing that I love getting trolled card. Yeah, it's actually funny to me. I like it. I actually love getting trolled. I'm having a good time right now. I'm not mad at all. You're mad and I'm laughing. That's all. Oh, my God. That's always a last ditch effort. Things are getting pretty critical. I guess. I mean, I have no idea why this is being covered in the New York Times, but I mean, at this point, that that is, uh, I mean, the only development really so here's, in the story. Here's a, here's a question I have. What the fuck is Martha's Vineyard? Where is it? What is it? How do you get there? Is it like Harry Potter? Do you have to like run through a wall or something? How do you even go there? Is it an island? Is it a beach? I have no idea. I think it's in Massachusetts. I think it's an island. Who I don't would know go if to they an island in Massachusetts. It's cold as hell up there. I don't know if they make wine there or not. Um, yeah, is it really a vineyard? It seems like it's it's the kind of place where if so many people want to go there, it's probably not a good use of the land to grow grapes. You probably want to put put up hotels. hotels or something. That would be my guess. Um, I never see a flight taken out from DFW that's like DFW to Martha's Vineyard. So yeah, that is interesting. How do you get there? Are there ferries? Is there a road you go to that links? You go fly into Logan, catch the bus out to... That's something I would do. Martha's Vineyard. But I don't see buses headed out that way. So there's some kind of know-how involved. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I could find online how to get there, but, you know. You drive, park. Yeah, it's either a drive over a bridge kind of thing or a ferry, I would guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't no idea what it even is. That is funny because, yeah, in the coverage, it's just assumed that people understand oh, that yeah. this is an important, significant thing. <laughs> it's not even vineyard. clear. Yeah. Oh, Martha's Vineyard. Okay. Like, what is yeah. this, a city? That's, that, that, is this a principality, a province? That's where they grow the, the port wine or something. No like, idea yeah. what this is. <laughs> it just, just assumed you understand. <laughs> I mean, I know place. Obama used to go there a lot. I remember reading about it. I know he, lots he of people to, used to go there, but for all I fucking know, it's a state of mind. I have never seen a picture of it. Yeah, I've never to bothered. To my knowledge. To, to, I, I saw a picture of Obama there, and it just looked like a normal, you know, place where he was going to the shops or something. To the shops. What do you think they sell there? Wine, I would guess. A vineyard, grapes, grape products. Yeah, I don't know. Fruit uh, leather. Grape fruit leather. Corks. Cork if it's products. a real, like, high-dollar place, then presumably it's just got the same set of high-dollar stuff everywhere is it the Prada and originator of vineyard vines that's what i've been told yeah there's a brand called vineyard vines i saw a shop for it in the mall and at first i was like this is (laughs) redundant why would you call yourself vineyard vines yeah but i martha is assumed so i guess some people say uh oh we're we're off to the vineyard this weekend or People something. People aren't like, which one? They know which one. Yeah, they know. It's like the Hamptons or something. Okay. And it makes sense because there's a whale on the Vineyard Vine stuff. And there's that makes sense, yeah. There's whales in the Atlantic. Because it's an ocean. It's an island. So. Yeah. Yeah. So we're putting some things together in this caper. <laughs> yes, that's really, it's really weird. Here's what I would do if I were at Martha's Vineyard and nobody would hang out with me. I would get Wi-Fi, and I would go online and entertain myself on the internet. What? How do you... I mean, if that's not where you live day to day... Just leave, What is the social... You know what I mean? Like, it's like, no one will hang out with me at Martha's Vineyard either. (laughs) No one will hang out with (laughs) me anywhere other than the place (laughs) I live. I can guarantee you nobody would hang out with us on Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> I mean, I guess because I'm online, I could probably find people to hang out with me in a it lot of places. Like, but like for like a normal person, a normal <laughs> person, you know. There's no way that we would. We he would doesn't live there. Martha's he lives Vineyard. in Cambridge or something. So Really? Well, he's a Harvard professor. Oh, yeah. I can't believe this is this has received media attention and that the latest development in this thing is that he's actually finding this all very humorous. And that's why he's going on Fox. Yeah, they had a picture of him. I just, saw that. Just chilling out. So he was wearing some kind of hot topic irony slogan tee. Oh, I didn't catch that. Did you see that? It said something like, um, "You laugh because I'm different," 
I laugh because you're all the same. Oh, yeah. It was something like that. The sheeple. Mm-hmm. That's what he's doing, I guess. Good for him. You rock on, moron. What else has been in the news? This is the segment of the program we call Muse in the News. This is Hot Topics. I call it Hot Topics. No, actually, we call it Hot Topics. Yeah, I'm more of a Wendy Williams. Uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. The View. Yeah. The, what's that other one? The Real. The Real is very the good. The Real. Real is an, is an adjective. While Matt was unemployed, he watched many, many, many uh, talk shows with me. Yeah. I well, was on maternity leave. There's The, the Chew. The chew is about food, though. It's sort of food is sort of the prop, but they they kind of it's they, the they same. They chew shtick. it up. They chew it up, and yeah, there's a bunch of the shows that just go the and then a noun, or in the case of the real an adjective. Uh-huh. Um, and they make them all dance, which is really funny. When they walk out, they dance. Right? Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, well, they even like uh, they do dancing throughout. Um, That's true. It's a funny thing. Like they they had to adapt that from. Ellen, I guess. I don't know who first invented it, but <laughs> they all have to dance. It's really kind of sad. I feel bad for them, but they've all decided that that's like what daytime audiences want or that's like what I want. people, you know, yeah. just kind of loose and having a good time or whatever. Um, it's nice. You know, lightens the mood. Yeah, but if you think about it for a second, it's not nice because you know they don't want to stand up there maybe they're having in their you know, dresses they're and just, just do that thing. Um, I don't think they're into it. I really don't. Well, anything thinking about any kind of dancing for more than two or five minutes is really distressing. Uh, some of I mean, you know, I think some people get a kick out of it, but I don't think doing like 15 seconds of dancing to the same song as you come out, like they're just sitting backstage, just like relaxed. All right. All right. We're going to go. Time is on, and then the person does a little hand motion, then they got to come out and immediately start doing their, their like, you know, upper body only dancing as they walk to the, to their spot. I don't think they enjoy that. I just can't imagine it. Put the odds pretty low on that. So low. But the people love it. The people love it, I guess. The viewers at home really eat that up. They're like, oh... Tia and Tamara, they really love dancing at 8 in the morning. They're really into that. Are both of them on there? Is there just one of them? It's just one of them. I don't know which <laughs> one. So <laughs> That was a good few months that we spent watching all those programs every day. I remember I was really into I, I prefer just watching Dr. Phil. Yeah, Dr. Phil runs all day on the own network. Mm-hmm. And so you, you can just watch that. He's produced a lot of content, man. I don't he think he, it would be really hard to go through his backlog because he was doing an hour a day, yeah. I think five days a week, maybe four days a week for years. Maybe he's still making new episodes. I don't even know. He respects the content. So much content. I mean, just think about an hour a day. I couldn't do that. Of TV, you know, and not just like, oh, we're going to read the headlines in the New York Times and, you know, have some guest on from a, a you know, organization whose whole thing is to provide guests to tv shows and like chop it up and throw it to commercial but like they have got to bring people in they got to fly people in there's all this footage and video they have to shoot ahead of time he's doing real medicine on tv right he's got to consult the um dsm and uh (laughs) stuff like that (laughs) (laughs) gotta look at uh you know his case books look at studies of uh similar cases and yeah he's he's got to keep i mean he's got to do the tv show and keep up on the literature and keep his know? board certifications i'm sure he goes in regularly yeah i don't know what that takes you know goes in it takes tests keep his board certifications it's tough it's real tough and he's always meeting as far as i understand it with the uh, pharmaceutical reps oh uh, no i don't think he does med- i don't think he does drugs you don't mm. think he's a psychiatrist? Mm-mm. You think he's just a psychologist? Yeah. Dr. Phil, PhD? Yeah. Not MD? That's disappointing. Oh, I think it's good. You know, I mean, sometimes the best medicine is just a no-nonsense person that'll shoot you straight. <laughs> so, that's what he provides. <laughs> 
I always liked it when poor people would come on there and they would have problems that were obviously just stemming from poverty. And he'd oh, yeah. be like, you know what? You don't need a, a hen to tell you when it's sunrise. No, they, yeah, there were, I mean, there were episodes in like 2010 means, where these people will come on and it's like, uh, my husband, he doesn't work. And w- so we're living with my folks and we're having family troubles because of it. And he doesn't even look for work or whatever. Yeah. And Dr. Phil's like, you know what? If you don't have a job, your job is getting a job. 40 hours a week, you got to spend getting a job. And you're looking at this and you're like, this thing aired in 2010. I know from the, from the you know, Bureau of Labor Statistics at the time that there's like nine job seekers for every job opening. Right. There's no, I mean, maybe he's one of the lucky ones, but like this is not a solution fundamentally. Yeah. Um, and that's a problem generally with uh, this sort of self-improvement psychology type stuff that emanates from Dr. Phil and, and Oprah, yeah. who of course gave us Dr. Phil. Is there's no sense of like, well, maybe the reason this guy doesn't have a job is because the macro economy is not doing well. It's not like just a personal thing that if that he can overcome, yeah, because like there just aren't enough jobs, you know, at this moment. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's stuff like that that gets frustrating. Zero um, advice on like coping with insurmountable circumstances. It was all just like fight against the current until you die of exhaustion. That's true. Yeah, no coping. No coping. You can do better, get better, and you yeah. can go to this... Uh, this is absolutely all your fault. You can go to this ranch for, for rehab if you want. They had some sort of deal that they kept sending these people to this like ranch in Arizona or something. Yeah, there was the ranch. There was also something for troubled teens. It's like a re-education camp. It's like <laughs> the Dr. Phil re-education <laughs> camp. And they just kept <laughs> doing it. <them. laughs> it was really wild. And then he also had this thing where it was like the Dr. Phil house... And it was like real, it was like real world, except with like dysfunctional families. Jesus, do you remember the one with the lady who she, she seemed like a nice lady and she had a smart kid, but she, she was single mom and then her daughter had passed away from leukemia. And then this, the relationship with the son had gone really south and the son like was very strong willed and like smacked her at some point. And she kind of yelled at the son and Dr. Phil was just like, he was he just sounded like a cop who'd pulled them over on the highway and was like, Now listen here. You ain't gonna smack your mama. I'm like <laughs> I'm like, dude, you are doing them such a massive disservice because these are people who need like actual counseling and real help. Like both of them seem like nice people and who just need a real chance to like deal with actual problems and you're just exploiting them for television you know that yeah so this reminds me of the yeah i mean it's weird right because because the the premise is we have the people on and then and then it's like generalizable like this is a good example for hey we got all these viewers they might also be having this problem but like the cases are so bizarre because like if they're normal regular problems that a lot of people have, they're really not entertaining. No, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's weird to call it entertainment because I'm not doing entertainment. I'm doing medicine here, but yeah, like obviously it's an entertainment component. So it has to kind of have a freak show element to it to be entertaining. But then the more freak show it is, the harder it is to say, "Oh, I'm modeling good psychology and good, uh, you know, uh, ideas for for our viewers who might have similar problems." Um, but then that, that reminds me that the sort of freak show element when they had the guy from bum fights on, this was the most, the greatest moment in Dr. Phil history. They were going to have the guy from bum fights on and bum fights is this was, were, were these videos that people, that this guy was shooting for a while where he would go and he would pay homeless people to fight each other i remember that that guy and then he would sell the videos online yeah Yeah, i mean it was was totally disgusting and like way you know and dr phil was like well i'm gonna have him on and teach this young man a lesson or whatever Mm -hmm. which is right off the bat it's like you're basically (laughs) you're basically doing the same thing he's doing Anyways, not to spoil it, but Mm -hmm. the guy comes out on the show after they've run this big package on bum fights and, Mm -hmm. you know, like how bad it is or whatever. The bum fights guy comes onto the show. Mm -hmm. He is wearing a bald cap (laughs) and he's wearing a suit that looks just like Dr. Phil. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Phil brings him on and then he's just Dr. Phil's like, nope, nope, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. Just send him off. Just send him off. And... 
and the guy <laughs> kept saying like yeah. i'm you i'm you we're the same person and i yeah. was like this is the highest art i've ever seen at yeah. 3 p.m on television yeah it's, it's, this is one of the best pieces of art ever it was shocking like not only do you just bring train wrecks on here for people to watch and make tons of money off of yeah but even bringing me here you're just yeah piggybacking on off of my bum fights wild so, yeah. bum fights you're running all these ads about bum fights and people yeah. are here to like see bum fights this is we're doing the same thing um and i thought that was what a what a great performative critique yeah. from one of the most disgusting human beings um and then what i thought was really weird about it was okay he sends the guy off and does this big grandstanding of like well i'm not even gonna talk to this guy this guy's beneath my even talking to him yeah but then he puts it on TV. And he puts that on TV. He puts that on TV. If you're like, okay, like if you had made a decision at that point, I'm not doing this, they just don't air. Just don't air it. <laughs> it's a huge self-own to air that and let everyone see the fact that this guy has correctly indicated that you are in fact just like him. Right. And then the airing proves his point again. Again. Again, yeah. it proves that his you point can't a third, fourth time. You can't resist. You just can't. You're doing the same thing I'm yeah. doing. You're, you you still got your money off of bum fights literally in this this particular show. <laughs> it's It was so wild. Uh, someone weird. needs to write a... That would make a great, you know, prestige uh, sports type coverage, yeah. you know, thing where you, like, you go in and you talk to the man or something and, you know... You say, oh, isn't this kind of like all of us or whatever? It would make a good piece like that, I think. As a free idea from Matt. Go for it. If you're at, you know. Pitch it to Grant. Well, I guess Grantland's gone now. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be, spo but that's just the thing that yeah, comes yeah. to my mind. I mean, you know, it would be like HuffPost Highline or something. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, the Sunday Magazine for New York Times. I don't know. It's real dark. We're at the very, very bottom. God. That was uh, that's some dark shit. <laughs> it's really dark. And then at least like as she got going and uh, and Oprah started anointing new and new doctors, it just like she just started doing like quacks and, yeah. and stuff like that, like like Doctor Oz and yeah, yeah. And then the doctors, the doctors, and it's just like oh okay now it's just like uh, the kind of stuff that you see on the on the the sort of tabloid rack when you're going to check out. Yeah. Which is like, oh, here's a new cleansing thing. It's like, oh, it's that, but on TV. That's, And that's genius for Oprah. That's her audience. Literally, it's the people who buy the, like, cleanse yourself to 30 pounds of weight loss. They see <laughs> that on the rack, and they're like, yeah, check that one out for me. I like a doctor with a sense of humor. That's my position on doctors. My neurologist, I said the seizure medicine I'm taking right now is supposed to, like, uh, they all have, like, horrible nightmare side effects. But the one I'm taking right now is supposed to give you kidney stones. So I was like having a bunch of back pain a while ago. And I was like, oh, man, I hope this isn't my kidneys. So, you know, with Kaiser Permanente, you can email your doctor. And I was like, hey, man, I don't know what's going on. I'm having a lot of back pain. Uh, what should I do? And my neurologist emailed back and was like, well, neurologists usually don't diagnose kidney stones. Owned. I was like, you're a funny man. You're a funny man. He got you. He did get me. I mainly like, I, I don't, I just like doctors to get, get it done. Just get it done. Just get it done. It's the same with haircuts. Matt's holding out for the age of the medical droid that just pulls your blood out and is like, oh, here's what you need. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, just, yeah. Not even just the blood thing, but if you can make robot doctors and stuff and robot. Um, barbers. Barbers. Yeah. That's the other thing that really, it bothers me is sitting there and. Talking to somebody while they cut your hair. Yeah. Ooh, that's really rough. But, you know, I just go to the, I just go to the least expensive barber. And yeah, I know. You just see storefronts like unisex haircuts and you're like, that's me. Yeah. Bucks. And that's the thing is the barbers don't, don't speak English usually. So that's, that solves your problem right there. But also you get, you get kind of a mixed bag of haircuts because you can never, never really communicate. Yeah. It's kind of a gamble. You try yeah. to get them to understand what you want. And, and I would say... You get it about 60% of the time. I liked your last haircut. Yeah, I didn't ask for that. She just did it. I liked it. It was short on the sides and long on top. I thought that was very hip. Yeah. It's never bad what they come up with. Just just not necessarily what I came in for. Yeah. So, so you know, you just kind of leave it up to the artist, honestly. Yeah, it's like a mystery. It's kind of a mystery thing. I kind of like that as well. I mean, when I have tried to go, on, go into like a real haircuttery before, 
and tried to like say, hey, just give me like a good, you know, like the, <laughs> the hip hair or whatever. And they're, they're just lost. I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And yeah. I'm just like, I don't, dude, just you see my head. You're a professional. <laughs> cut the hair Put the way together. you want to see it cut. You, yeah. you cut hair all day. You know what like the thing is. And it, Give me it, the hair you want to see in oh, the world. Do you have a picture? I don't have a picture. I don't really no. pay attention to people's hair. I don't know. Just just do the hair. Do it. It's going to be fine. I'm going to be yeah. happy with it. Don't make it you know weird or whatever. But just... Yeah. So that it wasn't even any better in terms of like yeah. at least here they really will just be like well i don't understand this guy so i'm just gonna do the hair i'm just gonna give him a good haircut <laughs> and then they usually do yeah when i go in to get my haircut i'm like you can see me you know that what i'm looking at is like probably like a five to six range that's what i'm working with in terms of beauty so the haircut can put me between like a 5.5 and a six okay you know and so just try to get it closer to the six than the the low five. I just try to get it cut off just to... Well, you just shave your head periodically. Yeah, I used to. I don't anymore. In high school, you did the... You know, like in every in every film or TV show, when a guy's going through some shit, he shaves his head over a sink? That was you in high school. No, I went to somewhere and, and would get it shaved. And I didn't shave it myself. You just show up at school with your head shaved periodically. Yeah. But that was my haircut. I mean, it wasn't like I went. It was like, okay, yeah, I get it cut. And then a few months later, it's long and I get it cut again. It did make it very hard to get a read on whether you were an Antifa super soldier or a, or a skinhead. Uh, you know, I didn't even, wasn't even aware at the time that that, that short hair was, was, was a racism thing. And People had no I idea. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't even, I mean, not at, you know, not for a long time. I, I just liked it really short because... You know, I don't want to deal with it. it. I don't think it looked very good, but it, you know, it got the job done. Well, so. just by the by, usually when a young white man is extremely poor and wears the same clothes every day and also has a shaved head, the ni- the neo-Nazi likelihood is in 90 percentile. I mean, it's, it's you know, but see, I, I didn't watch movies. I didn't really watch didn't TV. I, I, su- I mean, I, I did watch, you know, TV, but like we, we didn't have cable. So I just, you know, the main networks and PBS so I had no idea that that was even a thing to me. I saw, I knew a lot of people who had that hairstyle, you know, around me. And did you realize that they were neo-Nazis? They weren't. I don't. None of them were. That that I'm aware of. You know, with the like tank top and the underweight six. Yeah, pack. I don't think they are. I mean, they never expressed anything like that to me. That just is a you know, it's a common common hairstyle. And it and I mean it it follows from the cheapness of it. You can get that yeah, haircut very true. cheap because doesn't take any time really to do there's no styling involved or whatever yeah. and it lasts for a long time it doesn't doesn't have a lot of upkeep in required yeah so it's it's an efficient haircut which if you don't have a lot of money is is important you watched a show about vikings yes not exclusively about vikings i suppose saxons also yeah sort of half and half um Danes, Saxons, Celts. Were Celts involved? It was mainly Saxons and Danes. It was called The Last Kingdom on uh, Netflix.com. Um, and yeah. How would you summarize it? Yeah, so there's this guy named Uhtred. And he he's born of a king in uh, some province. It's the province called Bebeno? Bebenberg? Bebenberg. Bebenbau? Bebenberg. Bebenberg. And yeah, his his dad doesn't really like him, I guess. That's one of the undercurrents. Anyways, they go out into battle with the Vikings, and the Vikings capture the kid. The kid's like six or seven or something, maybe a little older than that. And they decide to raise him, like, as a Viking. Um,. And so he comes up as a Viking. So he, you know, he's Saxon, but he's also sort of Viking uh, or, or Dane, I guess. Culturally. Culturally. And he has a brother of a Danish brother and a Danish sister that, you know, were sort of his adopted family and blah, blah, blah. And then when he gets older, they, one of the, there was an intra-Dane dispute going on between 
the Danes he was with and this other group, um, some sort of long, long, long-term beef. And they come in and kill everyone, basically, including his adopted dad and family for the most part. Uh, he manages to avoid uh, dying there because he was like out in the woods away from the, from the house and stuff in the village. And so now he's, okay, so his old family is kind of gone because he's been away from them forever. His new family is now gone. They've been totally wiped out. And he's got to navigate, okay, what do I do next? And partially he got, he, you know, so he keeps, he goes back to Saxons. He finds some other Saxon settlement and, you know, sort of fits in with them, King Alfred and that sort of stuff. And so he kind of works for them for a while and helps them, like, take on the Danes. And then he'll go back and work for the Danes for a while and then he'll go back and work for the Saxons for a while. And so that's sort of the twists and turns. He just keeps going back to, you know, different groups. And he's got connections throughout. And, uh, you know, that provides the basis for the plot, I guess. There's no real, like, ultimate end of it. Yeah. He just... He, he after, wants to get his land back, his like ancestral land that he's entitled to. He yeah, I guess that's his goal, but he doesn't at the end of it. Maybe there's going to be more seasons. I think there's going to be more. Yeah, I don't think it's over. Because there were novels. It's based on novels. Yeah, I, it seems like there should be more seasons. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to understand why he couldn't get the land back. It's a little bit confusing to me why he keeps going back. Also, apparently um, he's going to be king of Mercia based on a prophecy. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, and that never. So yeah, there's got to be more coming. There's definitely. Because why would they put that in there? Pretty sure there's got to be more. Yeah. But yeah, that's the gist of it. I don't know if that was a good summary or not. He totally hosed his like first wife. Oh yeah, during the process he has uh, many women. Four or five love interests. Yeah. Uh, the Dane that he kind of escapes with her. Brita. Brita. I thought I really thought he was gonna like make her a queen. I was pro Brita. I was very strongly pro Brita because I just liked her too. And then I understood she kind of she just lit out on her own free will. It was her. Th- she her didn't want to live the life a, he wants a, to lead. In she, theory, she, he wants to go back to his land and live like a Saxon, which which she described as uh, raising kids, working in the field, and just sitting inside all day when she wants to be out raiding and whatever she's like a dane okay so she wants to live like a viking she doesn't want to live like a saxon okay whatever right that makes sense so she just kind of she goes out on her own that made sense it's her decision but then mildreth he completely borks too i mean that was mildreth is the uh the saxon that he marries as a strategic thing to make himself closer to uh the the king of wessex yeah but then she's nice to him yeah, he does he, pay back certain debts that she has. He seems like well, he he likes her a lot, um, but he's got to go out raiding and but stuff. But then he hooks up with this witch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he hooks up with a literal witch while he's married to Mildred, and just kind of dumps Mildred for this other lady. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. He just shows up back at their house with his side piece, and is like, "Hey." Uh, my girlfriend's with me now and Mildred is like that's not cool right yeah and he's like too bad too bad that's true yeah that was not cool and then he sees her again and he's like hey baby think maybe and she's like no I'm a nun now <laughs> well the kid that he had with her died and then yeah. she became a nun and then the queen gets the witch as you're calling her she gets beheaded was at she some a point. witch or not she was a witch. Yeah, I guess. But she gets beheaded, and, and now he's sad about that. And then Yeah, whatever. He's sad about that for like five minutes, and then he hooks up with this other pagan gal named Gisela. Yeah. She's his wife at the end, I think. Yeah. It's the last one. They're married. And yeah. they have kids. So it seems to have worked out. Yeah, but still Mildred's out there like in a nunnery somewhere. And, I mean, Brita seems to be doing okay. She's, she hooked up with young Ragnar. Did she? I think so. Yeah, I didn't follow that. I thought she had died at some point, but then she reappeared later. Yeah. Anyway, hashtag Last Kingdom. We're going to Finland uh, later this year, guys. Yeah, and um, Norway. And Norway. So we're going to take the uh, this little recorder thing we have, and we're going to podcast with some of our friends. We have uh, friends in Norway. My friend from grad school is also named Ragnar, as a matter of fact. And then we uh, we have some friends in Finland. Yeah, that's that's the the hope. So we're hoping to get some uh, fin- some Finn and some Norwegian guests on the podcast. 
Yeah, we can just go through the streets too. Also, we can just people. do some man on the street stuff. Be like, hey, how's how do you like having welfare? How we do you like having health care? Yeah, get an SD card. Go to the local yeah. child care center or something. Yeah. And when people are coming in to pick their kids up, say, yeah, do you have a second? Hey, do you feel less free because you have child care? I, I read uh, that uh, 80 plus percent of you have children in public daycare. Is that, would you say you're on the road to serfdom or not? See what they have to say, you know? Don't you feel like you should be working for this? Wouldn't it feel better if you paid? Wouldn't you feel more invested in it? Wouldn't you care more? How much dignity do you think you're missing out on right now? Right. You didn't earn this. Yeah. This came to you free of charge. We could ask the children how much dignity they're missing out on. We could, yeah. Uh, one thing I was I was kicking around the other day was we can kind of give children dignity mm-hmm. for school by like having them do like they could like clean up a little bit in the school. Yeah. And then would say, hey, your work cleaning up the school, we're paying you mm-hmm. in the form of education, education. And they're they'll be so much happier because now they're earning their education yeah. and we can now count their work. As if it's GDP. Yeah. And boom. Wow. Now we've got 70 million more workers in the workforce because all the kids are now workers. It makes sense. And employment rate goes through the roof. GDP goes through the roof. I mean, it's it's great. The national accounts just will light up and it'll be it will. And dignity, too, which is harder Dig- to digni- measure. Dignitas. We'll we need, we need a roof. national dignity meter. Yeah, we should do a dignity index like the misery index. Yeah. Where it was like an index of inflation and employment and that sort of stuff, but, yeah. but like a dignity index. Um, I feel like the rate of Twitter uptake would keep the dignity index down in the U.S. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know what else. I mean, wh- one thing, Im- the employment rate is, mm-hmm. to me, the most obvious in the dignity index mm-hmm. in this context. That just so every time someone goes on maternity leave, the dignity index drops a little. Yes. Yeah. For them in particular, yeah. I mean, I don't know because you would think the number of people out on maternity leave at any given time is probably going to be steady. Yeah. So the rate probably won't because some will come on and some will come yeah. off, you know. Um, but yeah, if it, when we first switch to maternity leave and the labor force shrinks a mm-hmm. little bit in terms of like man hours, yeah. Um, that's, an, that's a down for dignity. Dignity for sure. re- is reduced. Yeah. Yeah. Increasing the retirement age, dignity up. Dignity up. Uh, so. Nana, yeah, if we if we if we make it a law that people don't have to work on religious holidays, dignity is down. Dignity down for sure. National holidays, dignity down. Dignity down. Um, uh, legally require a certain amount of vacation, dignity down. Dignity down for sure. I was, you know, right now in in the Nordics, they have their uh, their summer holiday, mm-hmm. uh, where summer shutdown. The summer shutdown. I mean, like legit. Like, you know how we just had July 4 mm-hmm. and like a lot of things were shut down on July 4. I do remember All that. All the factories and the businesses and offices for the most part were shut down. Um, you know, there were a few people obviously working gas stations and that's for essential stuff. Like, like imagine that. Imagine July 4, but for five straight weeks. That's that's what it's like living in uh, Finland or, or Norway. You have these sort of summer shutdowns. So it's more like a dignity shit down. Oh, it's hell. I mean, absolute <laughs> hell. Um, I retweeted Minsky this morning. Minsky's dead. Well, I mean, someone was talking about him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The more I read Minsky, the more he seems like a crackpot to me. That's just me, though. What? <laughs> When you read him and he's like, the food stamp program is really running up inflation. You're just like, what is going on here? <laughs> Something has gone off the rails in your little brain, Mr. Hyman. Um, so. And we're, we, Matt and I were walking down the street today and in reference to someone I won't name, Matt said, I wish I could ask him what's going on in your little stupid brain. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh. I wonder that sometimes with people. And that's a very Matt, that's a very Matt type quote. So let's get to the meat of today's cast, which has to do with social mobility. Yes, social mobility. That's going to be the title of the podcast. So 
you know. You should also call it Dignity Shit Down. If you've made it this far, you'll yeah. get the, the title content. This is a title content. We always try to bring you something serious and enlightening along with our banter. Yeah. Some, some you know, eat your vegetables. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Your mom and, like, your mom and dad mm-hmm. kind of have, uh, I don't know where I was going with that, actually. It's like when you put vegetables in jello. Oh, shit. No, no, no. People do that. I know. That's what I'm saying. That's like our podcast. Salads. No, our podcast is better than that. Podcast is like a 70s cookbook. I do. There was was a 70s cookbook I saw on the Twitter the other day. I seriously thought about buying it. It was called like Vegetarian Goth. I was very attracted to it. I didn't realize goth was a thing in the 70s. Yeah. Well, goth has been a thing since like the gothic period. Yeah, but not not really. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so social mobility. Uh, what is social mobility? Social mobility is, uh, you know, your ability to uh, move in society uh, it, through classes. Right. Someone born poor. Becoming rich. Become rich. Someone born rich, becoming poor. Mm-hmm. The latter less emphasized. People don't dream about that as <laughs> you much. don't think about that, <laughs> even though it's sort of implied, yeah. uh, at least in terms of relative mobility. Yeah. If... I'm going up. Someone else has to be going down, at least in the overall social structure. Someone born um, middle class becoming upper middle class. Right. And someone born upper middle class has to then drop down to the middle class yeah. to uh, to replace them, um, at least on net. But yeah, no one. Th- that's the funny aspect of it is uh, er, the first problem with social mobility, if you will, yeah. is this conceptual thing where... We, that is the thing we emphasize in the U.S. Yeah. Equality of opportunity, social mobility, all the rest of it. And that's the stuff we fund in think tanks. That's the mm-hmm. stuff the Democrats will run on. That's the kind of stuff Obama will talk about. Everyone should have a chance. I mean, even Bernie, I think, to some degree, will, will shade in, into that language. But like, the basic problem with social mobility is saying that there's a lot of movement between the classes doesn't mm-hmm. really tell you... like what those classes look like and like how well off they are mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Like, you know, the goal is to me not to uh, increase the odds that someone born poor winds up rich and that someone born rich winds up poor, but to just get rid of poverty, get rid of inequality. You know, it's uh, uh, it not about uh, how, how easy it is to move between the classes, but can we just get rid of these classes? Right. Right. I mean, I'm tired of it. I don't like the classes. And sometimes I think about this because, you know, we have a kid now and I'll go to the playground and that sort of thing. And, like, you'll see kids there who are, you know, their parents appear to be pretty affluent. And and it's like, <laughs> I don't know. Do, am I supposed to, like, look at that kid and be like, man, I really hope that kid winds up homeless one day. Right. That'll be great because then a homeless kid could, could be in their position or their parents' position currently. It's just, it's really kind of twisted and right. weird. Um, well, and the, in the existence of the upper classes is also used to militate against left policy. If you'll recall, the, the big argument from the liberals against universal higher ed was, I don't want Don Jr. or Ivanka to go to college for free. Oh, yeah. No, it's, yeah, so it's, a, it's <laughs> so a funny situation yeah. where, where the existence, the underlying existence of inequality, mm-hmm. the creation of a upper class and lower class and middle class, means that we can't have we can't have anything universal because <laughs> it's going to be beneficial for the upper classes so the only way to get to any kind of uh argument for a universal anything is well we're just going to have to have far you know compress them somewhat so that there's not such a vast differential where it's an absolute scandal to imagine uh someone like ivanka or don jr uh, receiving free tuition. I mean, I agree. I think it's a real scandal, but the real scandal is not them getting free tuition. It's them having that kind of class advantage to begin with. <laughs> right. That's a good line. I haven't seen someone quite put it that way, but like to say, oh, you know, I agree with you. We shouldn't, uh, uh, we shouldn't give rich people free healthcare. So what, what we should do is just eliminate 
rich people. Yeah, yeah. Not I mean, in that's a the obvious way, line. Like, 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 if you don't yeah. want both of these things to exist, you can right. either not give them health care or not let them be rich. Right. I know which ones I would like. If, if uh, your problem is the is the scandal of, of someone who is uh, hideously wealthy receiving a free benefit, then obviously the issue is, well, they shouldn't be hideously wealthy. <laughs> that is uh, funny. Uh, it does distort. It does distort things. Uh, but, um, but that's one of the many sort of like epiphenomenon of having these extraordinary gulfs between the classes. Right. Which screws up politics on a number of levels. Um, but it brings it, it, in, it, it makes the focus of society a game of moving between the classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, that's a, it's a social mobility is, is an ideological, ideologically useful concept because not only does it allow you to focus on something other than that, but if you can achieve it, then there's at least some level at which you can be like, it's okay. It's yeah. okay that there's some people are really, really poor and some people are really, really rich. That's fine because people can move. People can go up and they can go down. And, and, and so it like takes pressure off of that. Right. At least the idea that you can do those things takes pressure off that because certainly it's not the case that that's really what happens, that there really is a lot of social mobility. That's not really true. Right. Um, and so... Well, what's but, what's but the data the on that? Yeah, so, you know, there, there are a lot of studies on this, and I guess the one that people really are interested in these days that seems to be, like, the most thorough and have the most interesting big data set and that sort of stuff is, is the stuff uh, Raj Chetty has been putting out at... I think the thing is called the Equality of Opportunity Project. Mm -hmm. I mean, go to show you right off the bat. Yeah, equalityofopportunity.org. Right off the bat where uh, who's funding this and what they're interested in and that sort of thing. Um, but he shows, for instance, that the odds of winding up in the top fifth, right? If you're a kid, what are the odds that you grow up to be in the top fifth? If you're born in the bottom fifth, you have a 10% chance. If you're born in the middle fifth, you have a 20% chance. If yeah. you're born in the top fifth, you have a 30% chance. So it just kind of goes right up the ladder. One in 10 if you're at the bottom, one in three if you're at the top already. Uh, three times as likely to wind up rich if you're born rich than if you were born poor. Um, another way that they present this is they, they show the average outcome of kids at every percentile. Mm -hmm. So like the first percentile kid, which is like the poorest kid, the poorest 1%, that kid, what what is his or her average yeah. income as an adult? Where do they wind up in the distribution as an adult? And that the answer is the 35th percentile. So the average poorest kid winds up at the 35th percentile. Yeah. The average richest kid winds up at the 65th percentile. So really large difference uh, between those two. And another indicator that they focused on that's kind of even more interesting and, and I think especially interesting because of the way that we focus so much on college in the U.S. Mm -hmm. is they uh, look at college attendance at the age of 19 uh, based on uh, the income of children yeah. or the income of their parents. And so the poorest kid, the 1%, the, the poorest 1% of children, uh, at age 19, 20% of them are attending some kind of college. Yeah. The richest one, the richest 1% of kids is 90%. Wow. So you go from 20% to 90%. And in between those, it's just a straight line. Mm -hmm. the, you know, as you go to the second percentile, the third percentile, the fourth percentile, it just goes up and up and up. The likelihood of being in college at age 19 just goes up and up and up. It's just a straight line on the mm -hmm. graph. And then they have this other indicator, which is kind of interesting, where they also... Uh, rank you by the quality of the college you go to. Okay. So the bottom 1% of children, we know right off the bat, only 20% of them go to college. Mm -hmm. But of those that go to college, the college that they go to on average is the 35th percentile college. So on average, they're going to the 35th percentile college. So 65% of colleges are higher quality and 35% lower quality. If you go to the richest 1% of children who are mm -hmm. going to college, their average college quality rank is the 79th percentile. So they're going to the 79th percentile college. Mm -hmm. Only 21% are better and only 
So it's not only the case that the vast majority of poor people are not going to college, but the ones that do go to college are going to lower quality colleges. Mm -hmm. And for rich people, almost all of them go to college. And and the average college that they wind up in in is a a really high quality college. So, you know, I mean, the idea that there's any kind of meaningful social mobility in the U.S. is is sort of of silly. Um, But it still serves this ideological uh, function. to, to distract away from overall inequality and say we need to be focusing on loosening up uh, uh, the relationship between where you're born and where you wind up as opposed to saying, no, no, we, we need to actually just compress the differences and right. not let these massive gaps, you know, uh, appear in the first place. And I also think, I mean, so that, that's like the obvious left approach here is like yeah well then the obvious answer is to compress right it's not to try to the liberal answer the answer that makes sense under liberalism and that has in fact historically been the one that's occupied liberal policy platforms is like well we'll just try to provide some programs that uh, perhaps widen the net of people who have a chance at social mobility so that's that tends to be the what liberals propose so education will make education yeah, available. Yeah, human capital, that, that's right, the general. Right. Education is like one prong of that. Is one prong of that. Um, they don't actually come up with anything that limits prospects for people who are born into the upper echelons. Yeah, there's not a reciprocal. There's uh, nothing reciprocal. Yeah, or there, yeah it's, it's all like, like, how can we help poor people rise the ranks? And necessarily that means that upper class people are going to have to drop the ranks. But, but no policy is no like, policy how can is we, aimed uh, at that. How can we sandbag rich kids? Yeah, that's not a thing. That there's no proposes. like, uh, also, you know, it's not like, well, we'll try to help... Uh, poor kids get into the running for the good public schools it's like well you should pull rich people out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't do any of that um and but we we can tell that those policies aren't working because we can look at social mobility in the united states and see that it's basically at a standstill um so the left has of course said well we just need to compress wealth inequality essentially uh even it out with these program you know uh, on one hand these universal programs that are inherently redistributive and uh then there's this other group of people who are like sort of communitarians you know what i mean yeah i know who communitarians are and these are like typically conservatives and they've always struck me as people who should also be concerned with inequality and the the liberal approach to social mobility because the liberal approach to social mobility is well the one way that you can have a decent life is essentially if you escape your family right yeah no um this is this is an aspect of social mobility that doesn't get talked about too much there's a lot of focus on does it exist how can we make it happen but one of the downsides of social mobility that is not weighted at all in our discussion is that if someone significantly changes their class position in society, they almost certainly become somewhat alien and foreign and weird and disconnected from their parents, from their community as children, their friends, and that sort of thing. Um, Because class difference being what it is it's hard to relate to people across classes this this is something that's actually heavily covered in the literature of immigration people who talk about cultural hybridity you know scholarship kid immigration but people whose parents are part of one culture and then they themselves become assimilated into american or white culture they're well there are benefits and harms and one of the harms is you become alienated from the culture of your birth and therefore from your family and from your home country. But it also has a, a very real class component. Yes. Which we've seen in your case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in, yeah, I mean, in my own situation, you know, um, let's just talk about images from your childhood. Your uncle. (laughs) Okay. Go ahead. Grew a weed garden. Yeah, my uncle was, uh, for personal use, I think. Maybe he sold some of it, I don't know. A weed farmer. Yeah, that's what he did on the side. In your dad's backyard? He was, um, 
he's a printer, a commercial printer, not in a in a sense that we would describe someone as a commercial <laughs> printer, but like the actual person who prints things mm-hmm. in big printing factories, not uh oh, oh you're a commercial printer. Oh, you so you own a commercial yeah, printer. He's not the company. capitalist. <laughs> no, no. That, that's one of the weird uh, uh one of the weird things you learn when you uh, become socially mobile is that when people say uh I'm such and such that they don't actually mean that they do that work, but that right. they are they the, uh, own they own the, the thing the that equipment. does the work. <laughs> um, Is this the one who has like seven and a half fingers? Yeah, he lost some fingers in a printing uh, accident um, many years ago, and uh, you know that's what happens when you're when you're working uh, real jobs. Uh, it's dangerous. Chain link fences in your dad's backyard. A lot of dogs back there. Neighbor dogs? Uh, yeah, not too bad. I mean, more recently, yeah, the neighbor, uh, one of our new neighbors, has um, has dogs, but but they're fine. They're fine. They're, they're not yeah, chain link fences. I had never considered that chain link fences were a thing. I guess now it's the case that yeah, if you have a home, you want like a wooden fence. But like back in the day, they have chain link fences that are about um, hip height. And you can see into all your neighbors' backyards. And it's actually kind of nice because you can see them out there and you can chat with them and stuff like that. Just watering a weed garden. Watered it from above because it was more like rain. (laughs) Yeah, that's what he told me. The weed plants preferred it. Yeah, I used to hang out over the summer. um, And, you know, he was at home during the day. And I'd talk to him about it. And, you know, he'd tell me about it and that sort of thing. So... Well, you know, it's fine. I should be one of those people who I'm like, you know what? We used to do this, and now the capitalists are coming in. And where's my uncle's weed shop? You know, like one of those people. Yeah. But I haven't haven't decided to take that mantle on. (laughs) The Um, first time I met your family, we went to like a restaurant in Fort Worth. And your sister, I was like some kind of teenager and your sister was like want me to buy you a margarita i don't remember that but um, i was like thank you heather (laughs) but i'm good uh i was i'm like the the epitome of like a suburbanite i was like wearing gap clothing heather's like i'll get you one i don't give a shit they know me here (laughs) (laughs) well yeah yeah the idea that you know the the work staff is an interesting uh difference uh i actually know these people like uh yeah no i mean so yeah it's different and you know i had neighbors this is the texture uh big john and little john your neighbors yeah yeah neighbors and you know like new people and that sort of thing but yeah if you go back which you have since you've gone to law school and become an attorney yeah it's just night and day and and i mean the thing is you also you notice the suspicions that they have before you ever even go out and become socially mobile because you see like there's anxiety that they have and suspicion they have around um upper class people and some of that is like worried about embarrassing themselves or worried that the person's gonna look down on them them, and so there's not a lot of desire to be around or interact or that sort of stuff because there's so much difference and will it be uncomfortable? Will they think less of me and all that? And and that just gets transmuted on to you because it's like, well, you're that person now. <laughs> like you, you're the people right. that we didn't really like all that much and that, you know, we were worried about uh, feeling, you know. So there used to be like intimacy and warmth sort of and you were just one of everybody else and now there's a distance. Yeah. No, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, yeah. You're not one of everyone else. There's some aspect of, oh, it's great, you know, he made it, that sort of thing. But, y- you know, you're different and alien and all that sort of stuff. And, like, that's just a, that's just an unavoidable thing. If you're going to have high levels of inequality and then try to move people between the strata, the stratas are going to form separate communities. Working class people do not hang out with upper class people for the most part. And so that's just the nature of the beast. And so social mobility just means um, that people become alienated. And I'm sure it would be the same for the reverse as well. If the, re- the I assume the reverse does, you know, doesn't happen all that often. Well, but the reverse you see, I mean, so my, my parents have friends who you hear them talk about who have children who don't do well. 
right who drop out of college and and then you know have whatever struggles and they just become points of shame right right and they become problems so they don't relate to the children anymore as you know just people who are part of a different class it, the, the whole mission in life becomes trying to rem- to repair the child right and restore them bring them back into the class bring them back into the class right. it can never be the the situation that you're just comfortable with them being a member of a different class right because it's it's a shame right f- with your peers and so your you're tearing class. at the fabric of, of family. this aspect of it yeah but right. that is a necessary part of social mobility right. is to just it's, it's a necessary upend. part of social mobility and, and it's overlooked by conservatives who are completely comfortable with having an unequal society where social mobility is the only tool of self-improvement it's true well it's funny i mean now i don't I, it's almost like <laughs> the democrats are, are conservatives because they're the <laughs> ones that push social mobility whereas the right just doesn't even care the right doesn't all. care whatsoever but, but like theoretically right the left yeah. is interested in equal um opportunity and but also equal outcomes as they say right. and the right says no we only need equal opportunity as long as you you know have an equal shot and that sort of thing but like you said if you are a conservative who's communitarian who's more socially conservative and that sort of thing that's the wrong way to go because you're basically saying let's uh, disintegrate families across generations right well if you look at it on the ground the only way that it becomes plausible to preserve families or to at least create conditions where families can be stable in their relationships across generations is to try to compress inequality to right. be as small as humanly possible yeah if, if there are no classes and or people are basically in the same kinds of classes and right. they, they basically you know they, they, the difference is so small well, that people it doesn't are still going to have their differences and families oh, will yeah. still have problems there's differences in hobbies oh i, I you know people have i like football you know. my, my dad likes baseball well, families can <laughs> like have whatever. all kinds of tensions they do that just well on their own right but but at least it will not be the kind of you're yeah. not fundamentally different. Your your being and identity is not fundamentally right. different. Right. So the fundamentally material and heartbreaking t- tension of, I no longer know my son because he d- he had accomplished everything I wanted for him, which is a very right. sad, right. And very there's sad another hard thing. There's another aspect to it as well that that um, is based in this change issue. Yeah. So like on the one hand, yeah, they're like, oh, I got my son did everything he wanted to do. And now I, he's a different he's person. He's a stranger and to it, me. Yeah, it's like, uh, I, it's not really my son that has accomplished it. Because yeah. in the process of being upwardly mobile, you so transform yourself that you become another person. Right. And so it's like, my son, the like, the body of my son <laughs> yeah, accomplished yeah. it, but he, that's not the same person. Right. Um, but that's also felt internally. Right. Because it's a weird thing where you're like, oh, wouldn't it be great if I were real successful? But you're thinking of yourself as the way you are at the moment right wouldn't it be great if like i a lower class person was like a a hot shot attorney and was like winning court cases in my case i wanted to for for labor and workers and that sort of stuff um but then like to get to that process you so change who you are that once you're sitting in that spot you're not it's not you that has accomplished it. It's not like me, the lower class person sitting in a courtroom. It's me, a totally different person sitting in a courtroom. Yeah. It's like you annihilate yourself in the process, which is like, then it's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> you don't feel the success in the same way, I guess. It's not, you know, it's 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 kind of a strange, it's sort of a strange process um, of it's doing that. never the way you think it's going to be. Yeah, it's it's really, it's really messed up. I mean, you know, well, you, you and then and you also don't feel quite at home in the the destination class either, because you're like mm, not really one of these people, yeah, and it doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally. It's performative in a lot of cases. I have my own issues, even with with social cues and that sort of stuff, just separate from class differences. But this what's like. I don't really feel at home in the destination class. I don't really feel at home in the origination class. Um, you know, what is what is it? Like <laughs> you're just sort of floating. Uh, you're floating uh, with no um, home or whatever. Uh, it's real messed up um, in that way. But you can find communities in other places, and I've done that to some extent with right, sort of leftist f- politics and that sort of well stuff. And you find communities of people who are also orphans. Yeah, you can try to do that. I mean, uh, I know at colleges they have like first generation yeah. uh, organizations, and I was in like 
what, what were they called? Uh, I was in like the McNair program. Right. I forget what that thing is. The trio, the trio thing, which is all about like helping, you yeah. know, first generation, lower class, blah, blah, blah. But that that's real dis- I don't really like <laughs> you know I mean the problem is that people who go through that process unless they are ideologically um, cultivated separately from it they kind of just buy into the, the bullshit yeah of it. yeah exactly so like people who do pull themselves up by their own bootstraps are often the most like blinkered yeah, about it because you want to feel proud of your accomplishments naturally it takes some actual self-discipline to say like actually there's a lot more to luck to go oh so it. much randomness involved and and yeah and, and and it also it's just you have to go against the social narrative so yeah. you, you have to have done a lot of work to not people just go with the flow of what society tells them unless yeah. they you know separately study or enter into some kind of a divergent group that that says otherwise and so that's the sort of the natural outcome and so it's it's that's bizarre and i always find that really goofy and and i it's very uncomfortable um just those those communities the first gen communities is like mostly it's awful um you need like cynical, skeptical first-gen communities yeah, that are like, drivers. this thing is is a joke and I've managed to jump through some hoops and that's great, but you know. There's no other way, but the, the one way isn't good. Right. And I don't think there are that many people who register that way exactly. So some people feel it and can't describe it. I mean, I've read some books about this where they were talking about, they were focusing mostly on like immigrant enclaves and this was mostly like Irish and uh, Italian enclaves when they were like the lower class immigrants. And it's like they were kind of following the kids and like the second and third generation kids are like no longer living in the neighborhoods and they're not, you know, working at the deli or whatever. And and they kind of describe a lot of alienation, but uh, they don't I don't think they've they've not situated it in an overall critique of society and and mobility and you know capitalist inequality and that sort of thing they just kind of ambiently feel it and are a little bit dissatisfied but can't really put their their thumb on it they don't have a theory for it you know so but yeah that's another thing that i think is that is an inherent problem with mobility it's not like oh we don't achieve it it, or actually i think inequality is bad in its own in its own right it's like look in your ideal world you know, uh, kids are just f- constantly being alienated from their backgrounds. Right. And it the and their families and their traditions. And yeah, that's your ideal world. It's that sort of just, just yeah. uprootedness constantly. Well, that's Generation after generation I mean, after again, generation. This is, this, is, this is good in the in liberal framework because it's about, you know, constant revolution, permanent revolution. Yeah, the liberal framework's good, right? Free yourself from your beginnings, and but uh, it turns out that uh, sometimes people don't want to, in fact, alienate themselves from everything they've ever known and be totally self-created, one-off inventions. Sometimes people would like to have relationships with their families, and they have traditions and pasts and cultures that mean something to them, and they would prefer not to be totally alienated from them. And uh, that just is something that we have learned uh, since the advent of liberal capitalism. Um, and so it, it's one of these ways in which liberal capitalism just hasn't worked. And, um, again, there's an extremist response to that, which is, uh, well, then we should structure all of society and politics on this observation that people seem to have some preference for a relationship to family and tradition. It's like, well, that, that is perhaps, uh, an over, uh, extended, uh, uh observation. And then there is the uh, failure to take any information at all from that observation and apply it to politics. And then there's a reasonable one, which is the way that we're allowing the economy to structure politics and society appears to be really detrimental. <laughs> and we, we shouldn't do that. We should, we should compress inequality so that it can't be totally deleterious and detrimental to human life. I mean, that seems like the obvious uh reasonable answer here yeah i mean it's got to be a situation where you know lawyers and truck drivers can hang out with one another that's the only way for a kid of a truck driver who becomes a lawyer to hang out with their 
parent, you know, in the right. in a, in a familiar common way where they where it's not like oh, you know, a little bit right. different. Actually, if you wrote um, Robert Putnam, all those people are always advising people to intermarry between the classes. But that be, that becomes such an untenable thing when you actually look at how serious inequality is. There's no point of contact between the classes. And oh, then it's how, so ridiculous. How would you structure your family life? Holidays it would be impossible, right? I mean, how are you going to bring those families together? It's not like a Hallmark movie. People are nervous and scared and... Yeah, and, and I mean, it still doesn't solve the issue either. Yeah. And you're right that, yeah, cross-class marriages have tensions just like um, marriages that occur across other sorts of divides we have um, a cross-class marriage yeah and you know and we deal with it by our families never see each other <laughs> <laughs> uh they just don't well yeah that's not i don't think intentional exactly well, they live in different places but uh you know it's 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 not optimal that that's the way it is yeah yeah no i mean that's for all the same reasons that there's alienation from i mean you can be sure that if you alienate as a offspring by shifting around that their alienation between people who you know you don't even have a relationship with right. a blood relationship with that is just really really different in terms of how they live and that sort of thing um but yeah there's no w- there's no way out of that Oh, yeah, let's get... What if people marry cross classes? Okay, that's just going to create a lot of uh, mismatches between families and alienation and that sort of thing. Um, Also, rich people aren't going to do it because they still look at marriage as a way to, like, build dynasties and alliances. It's just a familiarity context. I mean, I think that could be part of it, right? But, like, it's just an issue of, like, okay, I'm... You know, you want to marry someone that is... that. Went that has similar levels of education that you can chat with that you know knows what you're talking about and you know I mean it says you know marry people that have similar interests as you and similar on a similar level as you um, and similar experiences that's not an uncommon thing I mean that that that's a pretty normal um, aspect of it that doesn't require you to be like oh I'm I'm trying to preserve wealth yeah. and like dynastic elements I, I don't think that that um, is necessarily like a big part of it. Um, but that just goes to show you that like if you want people to like marry across professions or something, the professions have to be so close and similar enough to one another that like it's okay, right? So like in the same sense that a lawyer and accountant might marry, right? Well, even though they're technically, you know, those are very different professions. It's like, well, they're close enough. The right. income's close enough. There's a lot of things that are similar enough to it. It's like, well, if, if you make lawyering and truck driving similar in that way, that that's the only way you're gonna, you know, yeah. sort of solve that problem on that level as well. And you know, only only equality, egalitarianism, that sort of thing can really can really accomplish can really that. Accomplish that. So um, that's just my two cents. That's how I'm gonna sign off from now on. I'm gonna say that's just my two cents. Oh, um I need a catchphrase. Yeah. Um, um and that's the way it is. All right. And that's just my two cents.